Good morning, everybody. Um, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Uh, Pastor Tim is a little under the weather this week, uh, so I get the great joy of sharing God's Word with you this morning. I'm, I'm glad that I'm able to do that. So here's the question for us this morning. What is worship? What is worship? That's the question that we have. Uh, if, if, we, if I ask you that question, you may be thinking, well, man, it's what we're doing right now, right? It's gathering as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's having a church service. In, in our minds, sometimes we equate worship and singing. They're basically kind of like one and the same. Or maybe like we kind of think about it and we're like, okay, well, maybe worship is just praising the Lord, Right? Uh, the word worship actually is from an old English. It's kind of a compound word. It's worth-ship. So what do we place worth on? What do we love? What do we think about? Uh, what, what, what are we kind of respecting practically by orienting our money and our time and our attention on? That is what we worship and all of us are created to worship. Every single one of us worship. The culture worships. We worship, right? We're created to worship and we're constantly worshiping. But in the text this morning, we see God's definition for worship and how he wants us to worship him. So let's read it together. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We'll pray again and dive in. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray together. Father, in Psalm 8, it says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, you are worthy of worship. And God, in this passage, uh, may we live a lifestyle of worship. God, help us to learn how to do that better. Help us to worship on your terms. God, let us approach the word humbly. God, may you massage these truths deep into our hearts, and may we love Jesus more. Um, guide us, uh, waken us, help us to approach this with joy, and may we be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first half of verse 1, what do we see? We see the appeal of Paul. The appeal of Paul. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. The word appeal can also be translated as urge. This is coming from the Greek word parakaleo. So from different commentaries, what does that mean? That means to encourage, to exhort, to walk beside. There's, there's a sense of urgency to this. It's almost as if like a, a football coach is, is fourth and long and double overtime. And is like, hey, time out. Come on, let's gather together. So we're getting together. And we have an important message to share. Or, or maybe for our movie buffs, it's kind of like Mickey in the Rocky franchise, right? 
It's like, it's Rocky IV, Ivan Drago, baby. He's like, Rocky, oh wait, he's dead in that one, sorry. Sorry, spoiler. Um, Different one. Come on, Rock, you can do it. You can do it one more round, one more round, right? It's this encouragement that, hey, we have an important message to convey. You have a very important message to convey. It's okay, Paul, you have our attention. You've grabbed the microphone. What are you trying to say? He uses the word therefore. So essentially he's transitioning from two different thoughts. Okay, so what is he transitioning from and to? So for the first 11 chapters, Paul is unpacking this beautiful, dense, rich theology of who God is and who we are. How God has condescended and saved many for his own glory. Right, He unpacks that, and, and Pastor Tim has done a wonderful job uh, preaching through the book not too long ago, so if you want to hear more about that, I encourage you to check out our archive. But, but Apostle Paul is talking through all of this dense theology, and so then he says, all right, because of all this, here now is how we practically live. Here now is how we practically apply all of these things. So he's transitioning from dense theology to the application and so what is all of this teaching what is all of it hinging upon we see in the next phrase i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god the mercies of god now there's a lot here in god's mercy and how god acts mercifully and he's talking about the immediate context right uh, Paul just springs up in doxology about just the glory of the Lord, right? So there's a lot there in the mercy, but the fundamental idea he's trying to convey is the gospel. He's trying to convey the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And many of you have heard it, but bears repeating. God is holy, He is set apart. He's described and praised in Scripture as holy, holy, holy. We are sinful, wicked people. We, we naturally kind of want to put ourselves in the, in the hero role of our own narrative of life. Like we want to be kind of a generally a pretty good person. But apart from Christ on our own desire, we're naturally evil people. You don't have to teach a kid how to disobey you, right? They're kind of built in with that. That's kind of a natural default. We naturally are wicked people, and we're hopeless to save ourselves. Here's a sad reality. We can't be a good enough person in the community. We can't walk enough little old ladies across the street. There's nothing that we can do to change our situation. And though we are enemies of God, though we hate God, though we hate the things of God, God saw our sinfulness. God saw our evilness. God saw that we were enemies. And he came to earth. Fully God, fully man. His name was Jesus. Sinless life. And though we deserve to die, for the wages of sin is death, Jesus died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead in Romans 10. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's the message of the gospel. And we rejoice in that and we're happy about that. But 
has it been too long? Is it a distant memory? Is it something that's fresh in our hearts and in our minds? Paul knew that he was a great sinner and he needed a great savior. Paul delighted in the truth of the gospel. Paul sat and just marveled at the gospel. And that's the key to all of this. This is the foundation to all of this passage. Because without the gospel, without the joy in the gospel, without this fresh look at the gospel, without that delight in our lives, man, this is just a really, really bad New Year's resolution. The rest of this passage. So let us look at the gospel with a fresh set of eyes. Yes, amen, the gospel is the only way to save us. The gospel is the only way by which we can have fellowship with God. But the gospel impacts every aspect of our life. So how do we keep the gospel warm in our hearts, and, and how does the gospel shape us? Number one, the gospel humbles us. The gospel humbles us. You know, I, I love when I can, to read and to learn things. I'm a nerd like that. I just, I love, as much as I'm able to, I try to read or I'll try to watch something to help me learn something or, or watch a documentary or, or just kind of sharpen my mind in that way. And I know that many of you guys are probably that way too, that you say, hey, I mean, I love to kind of learn or kind of sharpen some skill in my life. And that's good. And here at our church, we have a great Great, uh, we do a great job in teaching good theology, sound doctrine, teaching the Bible well. But this doctrine should lead to us to be humble. If we're, if we're not humble at the end of learning theology or learning doctrine, we've missed the point. Theology, we don't learn theology so that we can win an argument on Facebook. We don't learn theology so that we can prove our great aunt wrong on Thanksgiving. Right? The gospel humbles us. Because we say, who are we? That the Lord should forgive us. So we should live in this idea of, of humility. The gospel changes the way that we look at spiritual disciplines. So if you hung out in the Southern Baptist Church for like 20 seconds... You've probably gotten thumped on the head. Hey, you can't earn your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. By grace, you've been saved. Yes, amen. That is absolutely true, and we delight in the Lord for that. But, but sometimes I can see this in, in our culture, and that may not be for everybody, but, but sometimes we treat um, discipleship, we treat like spiritual disciplines as a way to kind of like level up or maybe be kind of holier than other people, or, or maybe like earn favor with God. And that's not what spiritual disciplines are. Spiritual disciplines being reading scripture, reading prayer, or praying, um, fasting, uh, evangelizing. Those are spiritual disciplines. What, what, what's the reason that we do spiritual disciplines? Well, when we're saved, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit dwells us. We have a new nature. We know that from Ephesians 1. And because of that, when we hear truth, our new nature is filled with joy. It's filled with happiness. It, it's, it delights in the truth. We have a new appetite. And so this knowledge of God transitions into a love for God. We, we don't use Bible reading to kind of like 
get bonus points. We use Bible reading so that we develop and grow in our love and affection for the Lord. And that's what, how the gospel changes spiritual disciplines. The gospel impacts how we treat others. All right, y'all, let's, let's just, real talk. Bridge Street, two words. I remember I was driving on Bridge Street like on a weeknight. I'm like, what are you people doing? Who, what are you doing? Why are there, there's too many people on this road. Like, you just kind of, and, and then maybe like in, during the weekday, you're like, you're on like one end of Bridge Street near Krispy Kreme. And like, you're like, ah, is the Olive Garden lunch special really worth it? <laughs> <laughs> can, can I? Maybe I can go downtown. Maybe there's something down there. Maybe you know, hometown hibachi has a truck. Y'all, I'm making you hungry. I'm sorry. Um, but you know what? We we drive and, and like you just want to honk. And you just want to like you're just like this is just too much. We're in Chillicothe. There's just too much traffic. And like you want to get angry at people. And you're like, stop! Drive faster! What are you doing? <laughs> right? And that's a goofy example. But. This is gen- the general principle, right? When we're shown grace, when we're shown love, when, we, when the Lord patiently waits on us, we should probably have a level of mercy, a level of patience. And, and that's a goofy example, but we also interact with our coworkers. We interact with our children. We interact with different people. And may we have the same mind as Christ, that, that we would be merciful and patient with people. The gospel is the message that we're commanded to share, right? This is the, the main message that, that Jesus leaves his disciple with. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? That's the call uh, that we're commanded to share. And so that reorients how we approach um, our time, our vacation, how we spend our finances, how we take jobs or how we approach jobs. We have a new mission. We're reoriented into a new way. And so this is how some of the ways the gospel shapes our lives. And so we see first there's an appeal from Paul and then also worship defined. Worship defined. It's in the second half of verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I'm just going to take this one step at a time. We're supposed to present. And his commentary on this passage, John MacArthur, gives some really helpful thoughts. To present was often used as a technical term for a priest placing an offer, offering on the altar. It therefore carried the general idea of surrendering or yielding up. As members of God's present holy priesthood, as described in 1 Peter 2.5, Christians are here exhorted to perform what is essentially a priestly act of worship. Because the verb is in the imperative, the exhortation carries the weight of a command. Okay, so we get it. We have to present something. We have to sacrifice something. What are we called to sacrifice? Our bodies. And so context is really helpful here. In ancient Roman culture, in the ancient Roman thought, um, here was the general idea of the day. Bodies were generally bad. Souls were generally good. So because of that, you could do whatever you wanted to your body with, with no repercussions. 
right? So if you wanted to go to the Golden Corral and eat and eat and eat and then puke and then like, well, hopefully not on the buffet, but like, and then you eat and eat and eat and then you go and you puke again. If you just wanted to just destroy yourself, go ahead. If you wanted to have tons of relationships and be an app king, a dating app king, knock yourself out. Nothing really mattered. You can treat your body however you wanted. Your soul is what mattered. Well, Paul is flying in the face of this wrong teaching. So what is Paul trying to convey through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Every aspect of us matters to God. When he uses the word body, he's conveying the message that our body, our mind, our will, our emotions Everything should be surrendered to the Lord. Every aspect of us should be surrendered to the Lord. So this idea is perfectly exemplified in the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. So let's turn there real quick if you have your Bible. Uh, Genesis 22. If you don't, no worries, it'll be on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible, we don't want you to leave leave this place that way. We have Bibles at our Welcome Center. We'd love to get you some. Genesis 22. I'll know who was in Bible drill and who wasn't in like two seconds here, right? (laughs) Yeah, just kidding. First book of the Bible, Genesis 22. If I was cool and hip, I'd try to summarize this and tell some like story and try to make it relatable. But you know what? Like, this is true, this is trustworthy, this is where we base our life on. So I'm just going to read it. That's the most valuable thing I could do for you as your pastor. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. He took his hand and the fire and the knife. So they both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on your boy or do anything to him. 
For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of this place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now there's a sermon right there that we could unpack that we don't have time for, but here's what was going on. So in Genesis 12, uh, the Lord covenanted and promised Abraham, hey, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to have many descendants. And so Abraham was delighted in that. Well, years passed and years passed and years passed. And Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they never had a kid. But finally, they had Isaac. And they were so excited. They finally had their heir. They finally had their child. They, they raised him for years. And now all of a sudden, the Lord calls to Abraham. So what does Abraham do? He obeys the Lord. Now, now are, are we called to sacrifice, and perform sacrifices and human sacrifices? No. But we're to hold everything with an open hand and to lay it before the Lord. We're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And, and there's a qualifier in Romans 12. It says to be holy and acceptable to God. So God doesn't want us to come to him begrudgingly. God doesn't want us to come to him in order to impress someone else. No, God just wants us to come to him. And he doesn't want the scraps. He doesn't want the leftovers. No, he wants all of us. He wants the first fruit of us. The hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross perfectly exemplifies what's going on here. It beautifully articulates the idea. We're the whole realm of nature mind that we're an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So how do we apply this? If we're going to boil this down, how do we actually live this out? Worship is simply asking the question, Lord, how can I honor you with my life? today. And what I wear, how can I honor you? And how I interact with my coworkers, how can I honor you? And how I raise my kids and how I spend my money, Lord, how can I honor you? And that's the question that we should be asking ourselves, that we would bring glory and fame to the Lord. But let's be real, okay? If we're honest with ourselves in the text, man, that's a really tough request. Like, if we're just being honest, like, man, that's really, really tough to live out. Like, that's a big ask on our lives, right? Like, it just, it just feels really cold. Like, it just feels rough. So, this week, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking through this sermon. I'm thinking through this text. I'm preparing this text. And uh, my youngest, Harvey, is sick. And I, and I talk about him a lot because he's just a lot of personality, man. He's just, he's just awesome. But he's sick this week. He doesn't have COVID. It's okay. Praise the Lord. He doesn't have COVID. But man, he's getting over an ear infection. Okay. He has like a cold. Uh, he has a little rash. And so he's just, he's just struggling. 
And he's just, it just all culminated. Like, God's grace, he has medicine, he's doing good, so, like, nursery workers don't have to be like, oh, goodness, right? No, he's doing good, he's, he's got some good medicine, so he's doing well. Um, but just one day this week, it just all kind of culminated. And those who have raised young kids, like, you know the scream cry? Like, the, the, just the cry that just, like, nothing makes them happy. They don't sleep. They don't eat. They don't, they're, just, they're just miserable. And then it just grates on your soul. It's like nails on a chalkboard, right? It's just like, ugh, right? So I get, I get you know, to go to work, and, and my wife is wonderful. She stays home. And so I come home that night, and she has the bloodshot eyes, you know? And it's like, take it. <laughs> take the baby, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, this was a fun day, right? <laughs> and so I take, I take Harvey, and we try to get him a bath, and then it kind of calms him down. We try to give him cookies, and he just doesn't want, you know, and so we're trying to get him ready for bed. We generally, like, read some, a couple books before bed. He don't want to read books. He don't want to do anything. So eventually, he finally calms down, right? He finally, like, we're, but he's still kind of fussy, and we're just kind of rocking, and I remember specifically in that moment, right? It was like, it was like eight o'clock at night. I remember just kind of rocking back and forth and like, Dan, how do you ask that question? How, God, how do I honor you? Like in that moment, you know? And like that, that's, you know, it's tough, but that's like life, right? Like that happens. Sometimes you all are struggling far greater than that, Right? Maybe you or a loved one is struggling with COVID or getting over COVID. Or maybe you got a diagnosis, man, you just did not want to hear. And that's weighing on your heart and weighing on your soul. Maybe you're looking at the budget and like, man, how can we pay bills this month? Real needs. And so you see all of that. You see the reality of life. And then you're like, okay, God, how can you ask me to lay everything down? How do, we, how, do we, how do we reconcile those, the reality of life with the truth of Scripture? Here's the beautiful thing. When we bring our brokenness to the Lord, we worship Him. When we rest in His goodness and when we take the yoke that is easy and His burden that is light, we worship him. Because what are we doing? We're saying, you know what? I'm not going to trust in the idol of self-sufficiency. I'm not going to trust in me carrying this. Lord, I want to trust in you. Lord, I can't do this anymore. So God, I lay this at your feet. God, I know that you can provide. So Lord, I pray that you would provide for me. God, help me to have faith in this moment. God, I believe that help my unbelief. And so when we bring the Lord our brokenness, we worship him. And you know, at first reading of this text, it almost feels like a presence in it, right? Like it's just like, oh, this, man, this is not happy. You're the worship guy. You should bring like the happy messages, man. Why are you bringing like the sad messages? But here's the truth. When we live for the glory of the Lord, when we live in obedience to him, there's no better place on earth. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a joy that we can't explain. There's a contentment in our souls. We can find satisfaction and rest for our weary hearts when we live for the glory of the Lord and we live to obey 
him. So may we live a lifestyle of worship, and may we ask the question, Lord, how can I honor you with my life today? So, so we see the definition of worship, and then finally, we see the command to live a life transformed by the gospel. Live a life transformed by the gospel. In verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we, we first have a command, don't be conformed to this world. All right, we're not to conform to this world. So the word conformed carries with it the idea of wearing a mask or being a part of this masquerade. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, guys, don't wear the culture. Don't look like the culture. Don't act like the culture. Don't talk like the culture. Don't, don't put on the mask of the world and kind of hide in the ebb and flow of, of what's normal, Right? Don't hide in just what, what's, what's popular. So don't do that, but what? Be transformed. The word transformed here is where we get the Greek, the English word metamorphosis. If you've done science class, you know metamorphosis is, is what happens when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. So what is the Apostle Paul commanding us to do? Hey, don't hide in the culture. Don't kind of wear the mask of the culture. Be a billboard of God's grace. Say, the Lord is changing me. The Lord is renewing me. I'm going to live this life of sacrifice on display, not for, for my own fame or to build a platform for myself, but for the glory of God. So we don't conform to this world, but we are transformed we are a billboard displaying God's grace and change in our life. How do we do that? By the renewing of our mind. By the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? Read your Bible. It's easy to hear, but it's sometimes kind of hard to live out. Um, so let me just kind of give some practical helps. Um, so what we're doing as a worship team is we're reading through the book of Proverbs together. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. There's 31 days in January. So we're just taking a chapter a day. How I apply that is I simply um, will listen to the Bible on my trip to work. So it's usually a couple minutes. I'll listen to that. Uh, and then I'll reflect on the passage. I'll think about that. I'll pray. Uh, and I'll start my day off and start my commute off well uh, thinking through Proverbs. And there are so many Bible studies. There's so many different reading plans. There's so many different devotionals. Uh, we, can, we can get you in the right direction if you need something. But the main thing is find something that works and stick to it. The, the Bible is the wellspring of life. It's where we find truth. It's where we build our lives. It's what we build our lives upon, right? That's the ultimate standard. So we must be students of the word. We must read the word daily. Why should we do this? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So when we think about truth, when we think about the things of the Lord, when we think about um, God and who he is and what he's done, we're able to discern big decisions in our life, right? If we're kind of just in the pattern and we're kind of hanging uh, in the, the course of this world, and just kind of going with the flow, um, we're not able to discern truth. We're not able to discern decisions in which God would get the most glory. But when this is our standard, when this is our ultimate authority, when we're able to base our lives upon the word, we're able to make big decisions uh, with wisdom and clarity. We're able to say, okay, we're at a crossroads here. But based on the word, we, we know that this decision would best honor the Lord. So I want to be faithful in that. So this message is easy to understand. It's a clear command, but sometimes it's difficult to apply. So where are we at this morning? Do we need to ask ourselves the questions, Lord, how can I honor you with my life? Maybe there's something that's just kind of in the dark recess of our heart that we're kind of holding on to. Maybe that's the thing that we need to say, Lord, I give it to you. Maybe you are burdened and weary and struggling this morning. Know that when you bring your brokenness to the Lord, you can find rest and contentment and worship even in that moment. Perhaps you need to renew your mind. Perhaps this is the year where we say, you know what, I'm going to be serious about the word of God. I'm going to apply the word to my life and I'm going to live it out. Maybe that's where we need to be this morning. Or, or maybe uh, you're just kind of kicking the tires on Christianity. You're like, ah, I don't know about this whole church thing. I don't know about this whole God thing. Well, the first step we need to take is to surrender our lives to the Lord. It's as easy as A, B, C. First, we admit that we are sinners. We admit that we are wicked. There's none righteous. No, not one. And we believe that Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That he is fully God, fully man. He's sinless. He's come to earth. He died and he rose again. And then finally we confess. We confess that Jesus is Savior and Lord. We are, we are the boss of our life. Right? Like we are in control of our life. But when we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, we say, God, I want you to be the boss of my life. I want you to control my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And when we do that, the Lord is faithful to forgive us and to draw us and adopt us into his family. So wherever we're at this morning, if we just need to to marvel at the gospel and we just need to sing praise, we can do that. If we need to pray and take time to pray, the altar is open. If we need to just discuss something or process something or think through something or if we need uh, prayer, uh, Pastor Joe's going to be in the front. I'm going to be leading us in a song. And so Pastor Joe will be a great resource for you. However the word is encouraging you to obey the Lord, I'd encourage you to be faithful in that. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true, that it's trustworthy, that it's good. Lord, I pray that we would respond to you, Um, God, however we need to. God, may we be obedient to your word. May we be humble to it. And God, uh, let us 
glorify you in all things. Guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.